Well, good morning again, everyone. And we get to sit today. That's nice. I hope that doesn't mean we're going to go longer or fall asleep during my own message. One of the two may happen, right? Especially to Cooper. Cooper didn't get back from youth camp till about 1230 last night. So um, we're praying for him to stay awake during his message this morning. It's going to be good. They're pretty well, comfortable chairs. That's where they are. I've, I've, they're, they're from my office, and I will say this. I've used them before for a nap, so um, they do work. Uh, well, we're in this great series. I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are in this series called What, Why, and How. And we're talking about big questions that we all ask about God. And I want to tell you about something that I think is pretty cool. Um, the first thing is this. Over the next several weeks, if you have a big God question that maybe you feel like we haven't answered yet, you can text it in, okay? So over the next several weeks, text in your question to 43506 and just type in your question and we will receive it. And the last day of this series, we are going to attempt to answer some of those questions that maybe we didn't get to during our series that you might have. That you might have. And so um, if you've got a big God question, please text it into that number, 43506, which is our texting app here at church. Um, you can text it in there, and we'll try to answer it that last week of our series. Um, and so we're excited about that day as well. Well, you'll notice something different today, as Kylie mentioned. All three of the teaching pastors are up here this morning. And I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about what we're going to do. And I'm excited about um, just what we're going to talk about today, because this morning we're going to talk about three distinctives in our church that we have. Every church has things that they believe and things that they hold on to and things that um, are important to them. And this morning we want to talk about three things. There's lots of things that we obviously believe, but we want to talk about three things that are unique to Cheney Faith Center, and we hope that also these three distinctives that we're going to talk about are maybe along that line of big questions that you maybe have had about God, okay? So Pastor Cooper's going to talk about God's view of human sexuality. I'm going to talk about the biblical view of women in leadership, and Pastor Kate is going to talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we launch into those ideas, let me, let me talk about it just for a moment. There are the theologies and concepts and ideas in our Christian faith that we would call non-negotiables, okay? There are certain things that are essential and that in the church of Jesus Christ, we all have to agree on. Those are our non-negotiables, things like creation, Jesus is our Savior, that he rose from the dead the infallible word of God, you know, things like that. Those are non-negotiables that we all agree on in the Christian faith. But then there are other things that are negotiables, non-essentials that are still being debated. And even genius theologians, you can have two super genius theologians and one will be on one side and one will be on the other. And so we're still, that's still in process and we're still working on those theologies, and we may have come to different conclusions, but we're still in the same family, amen? Augustine, a, a famous leader of the church in the 
third century said this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now what Augustine meant was this, we must agree on the essentials in the church of Jesus Christ. And we also will have different opinions on things that are non-essentials, but we must be in unity together because the unity is the very thing that we need the most. And, and what, what he means, I think, especially for us today, now that we're in 2020 and the church looks very different, I would say what that means today is you don't have to leave a church because you don't believe exactly what their theology says. Let me start with this verse, and then Pastor Cooper will get us started. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's what we know and we believe. All Scripture is God-breathed, all of it, every single bit of it. Even Leviticus, folks, is God-breathed, right? And is useful for us today. And what we're going to do this morning is take our distinctives and look at them from God's Word and then uh, process that together. Because we believe God's Word will always guide our lives to honor Him. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. Each of us is going to share for about five minutes on our distinctive. And I, that's funny, I know. And then we're going to ask one question that relates to that distinctive, okay? All right, so I'm going to set my timer. Pastor Cooper has five minutes. Ready? Go. Five minutes to unpack human sexuality. Yes. Let's Shouldn't be it. a problem at all. Yeah. Well, I, I want to I start off with number one, um, almost like an apology. Um, I think in the history of the church, there hasn't been a great conversation about this um, through, the, through the many years. And I think church should be the safest place and the healthiest place Amen. to have conversations like this and dialogues about human sexuality. It's within our culture. It's within everything that we see. We're going to watch the Super Bowl, and the commercials are probably going to have lots of sexuality in them. And so I think it's a good thing in the church is to dialogue on this. And so I want to just say kind of up front, like, the church hasn't done a great job, and, and we're sorry for that because this should be a place where we can dialogue on that. And so I love that in a church here at Cheney Faith Center that we are talking about things like this because it's happening in culture, and so we should give God's biblical view of that. Um, so I believe, again, this conversation, it's, it's about people. It's not an issue. It's, it's about people, and mm. we shouldn't treat it as a separate issue. This is people's lives. This, this is humans. We're all humans, and God has given us sexuality, but he's also given us the created intent with that, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. So um, probably as you came in, you got those little handouts. There are CFC core distinctives, and so we have a little bit um, of well, a larger blurb written out with some scriptures and things like that that show our biblical view of these different topics. And so I'm taking a little blurb um, from the one that we wrote on the back of that sheet about just what we believe. And so it says this, we believe all human persons 
are created in the image of God and derive their primary value from that truth as listed in Genesis chapter 2. Regardless of marital status, gender preference, sexual preference, or sexual orientation, we choose to submit our life under God's design and created intention. So we want to always look at things like this from, from a very holistic view, biblically, front to back. Not just one verse here, one verse there, one verse there. But what is God's intended view throughout Scripture? And so we start with the beginning and what God did in the creation. And what we see is God creates everything in like opposites. So light, dark, heaven, earth, land, sea. Everything is in opposites to complement each other. But then he comes to humans, and humans are elevated above all other creation. We are created in the image of God. So God's image, the likeness of him is in humans. He creates man and realizes there's nothing for the man. And so woman is created out of man, the opposite of it. And the Hebrew word that is used is called ezer, E-Z-E-R. And the way our Bibles translate it says like helpmate or helper, which is not a great translation because the Hebrew language is so deep and so rich. But really what is being um, uh, said in that area is Eve, the woman, is the perfect companion, the perfect complement, the, the, the person that was needed to fulfill man. And then likewise, for man to fulfill woman, that together they would be united to fulfill God's mission. It wasn't that woman is less than and she's just helper to just do whatever the guy says. No, it's this created intent that woman, a sex opposite of man, was created with purpose as a suitable and companion, as a helper and a helpmate with Adam. So we see the intent right there in the creation intent from God is that it's between one man and one woman. And it says there in Genesis 2 that um, they knew each other, which means that they were sexually intimate, and that is in a covenant relationship. So God expresses right away that sexuality is to be expressed between one man and one woman in a covenant relationship, marriage, between that. And that's where it should be expressed. And really, like you would see in our CFC distinctives, anything outside of that is not in his created intention. So we take that from the Old Testament and we move through into Jesus' ministry. Jesus reiterates this in Mark 10. He really speaks again on this truth that it's a man and a woman, and that they are united in a covenant relationship, and that's where this is to be expressed. Then we come into the New Testament church with Paul, and Paul is talking to a very, very, let's say, liberal, progressive culture in the church of Rome and Corinthians, where their normal day-to-day -day was public sex, temple sex, things that how they just expressed it 24-7. He's talking to them. He's also reiterating like, hey, God's intent is between one man and one woman. And he lists some things out in those scriptures, and he does lift, uh, list out same-sex relationships, so homosexual relationships. He says this is not God's intended purpose. And just quickly, uh, I'm not going to go deep dive into the Greek language, but the Greek language that Paul expresses is about consenting adults who are practicing a homosexual relationship. It's not sometimes people say, well, you didn't really say, um, you know, this style of relationship or that style. No, Paul is saying consenting adults who are practicing same-sex relations. That's outside of God's intent. It's, it's, we live in Washington State, and our state says, hey, 
this can happen. But we're not moved by what our culture says. We're not moved by what our feelings say or what we think should be right. We are led by what God says and what his created intention is. Because God is the creator of all things. He knows and he has the intention behind it. And so from front to back, we see that intention played out from the Old Testament through the New Testament in different cultures. They don't waver from that because that's God's intent when it comes to um, human sexuality. And again, this is a, a start of the conversation. Um, there is a lot that you can unpack from there. And I actually enjoy talking about this. I've done a lot of research in this and just read tons of um, doctorate dissertations and all sorts of stuff. And it's very, very fascinating. And I love talking about it. So I want to just say I'm open for questions. Not right now, because we don't have time. <laughs> but, um, um, but I'm always open for questions to talk more on this um, and, and those things. So. Okay. Thank you, Cooper, for sharing that. And it's brought up a question that I'm sure many of us have here, which would be, if people are wondering about inviting friends or family to Cheney Faith and maybe people who don't align with God's view of sexuality, are they still welcome here at Cheney Faith? It's an overwhelming yes. If you read in our CFC distinctives, um, we say this, all as such, all persons should be loved unconditionally, welcomed enthusiastically, and served without hesitation. We call all persons to align all areas of their life to God's will as expressed in the Bible. It's never a great idea, and it's not, I believe, biblical to single out one sin in one person. That's not a holistic view of God's intention for anybody. That's right. um, you may have heard this, this phrase, um, hate the sin, love the sinner. Um, what I've always said and what I've learned is hate my own sin first. Amen. Recognize first that there's Amen. stuff in my life that I need yes. to deal with and bring before and submit um, under, under God's authority, under, under his word. And so Amen. I want to just even encourage us all that when we look at a subject like this, it's not just a one sin, a one thing. We all have fallen short of God's glory. We need to realize that we need to deal with stuff in our own life as well. Amen. That's great. Thank you, Cooper. Good word. <laughs> Well, our second distinctive is women in ministry. And let me read for you just uh, one little short line that we believe. So we believe that God's calling and gifting to pastoral ministry is not limited by gender. In other words, we believe that women in ministry, we believe in women in ministry, that they can publicly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church and outside the church. Now... I think it's fair to say, like Cooper just mentioned, this, you'll see this laced in, in my talk and in Cooper's talk, that I think it's fair to say that since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, man and woman have been a little confused about their roles with one another. And in the Garden, there was this perfect equality and complementation. But outside the Garden, those things have been, uh, let's say, less than what God has had planned. But we can see in the Old Testament that there have been significant moments where women have saved the people of God and were used in leadership roles. Even in roles where the men said to the women or to a woman, Deborah in that case, we want you to lead. We don't want to lead. We want you to lead. We see the gifting and the calling of God in your life, and we want you to lead us as an entire nation. Now, after the cross and the resurrection, we believe that Jesus set the stage for everything 
to be brought back to God's intended plan in the garden. That what Jesus was restarting and resetting was everything that God had done in his creative work in the garden. Therefore, we believe that God intended for women to serve alongside men and complement the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Now, when we interpret the Bible, we must interpret it based on several things. It's grammatical interpretation. That means the words that are being used, the grammar that's being used, the sentence structure that's being used, historical interpretation, which means it meant something historically to the people that were hearing it for the first time, and that's its original intent. We can't change it for what we want it to say for 20 to 20. It, it needs to say, we need to apply it to our lives in 2020, but we need to see its original intent in, it, in its historical interpretation. We must look at the context. That means we have to look at the paragraph around that verse, the chapter around that verse, the whole book, and the whole of Scripture. And now, remember, God's Word does not contradict itself. This is extremely important as we look at verses about women in ministry, that God's Word does not contradict itself. Now, I say that because I'm going to show you how we have had a viewpoint for a long time that if we believe that women are not to be used in ministry, that it's a direct contradiction to God's word. So we would actually be using a, a form of biblical interpretation that is incorrect if we held that stance. And let me show you why. I'm going to show you a couple verses. In 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, we have the key verse that um, has been used for women not to be speaking in ministry. And I'm going to read it for you. It says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now, traditionally, there have been three interpretations that theologians have used about this, these, this, these two verses and a couple others. One, that Paul was making a command that women should not speak in, in church. Two, that Paul is referring to uh, some specific women in the church, but he doesn't call them out by name because he wants to be nice. So he talks about it in a general way, because everybody in the room really knows who he's talking about, and he's hoping that they will come in alignment with unity in the body of Christ as a result. Or third, he's actually quoting what people are saying, that women should not speak in the church, that chauvinistic domineering men who want leadership roles are saying, we don't want this. And so he's actually quoting what they're saying to point out the fact that he does want women to be in leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let me show us why we believe that in the context of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, this context of how we do church together actually starts in chapter 11. It starts in chapter 11, and it's a long conversation that goes all the way through chapter 14. So let me look at a verse right at the beginning in chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, Paul said this, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. 
good verse. He gives a command for what men should do when they publicly use their voice in the church. They should cover their head. Verse 5, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. Now, this is a great example of historical interpretation because Paul is giving a cultural direction in a specific city because in the city of Corinth, women were used in religious ceremonies all the time, but they would have their head uncovered. But the way that they were used in religious ceremony was as a temple prostitute. And so they would leave their head uncovered and it would be a sign to the men in the city that I am ready to worship the goddess of love by having sex with you. And Paul says, we don't want that in the church of Jesus Christ. So I want women to cover their head to signify that they are joined together with their husband. And so when they pray out loud or they prophesy out loud, it will not be looked at as a sexual advance. Now, notice the obvious. If Paul meant for women to be silent, why didn't he say women cannot pray or prophesy in church? He doesn't do that, does he? He just gives direction about how men and how women should act when they prophesy, when they use their voice. Let's look at the next verse. It's in chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 27 and 31, Paul said this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, prophets, teachers, helping, guidance, all of that. Then verse 29, are all prophets, are all apostles, are all teachers, are all workers of miracle? Now, here's what I want to point out. Two things that Paul does. He first uses this phrase, each one of you is a part of it. Now, here's what we need to ask. Are Paul's words inclusive of women or exclusive of women? I think this phrase, each one of you is a part of the body of Christ, is an inclusive phrase. Men and women are a part of the body of Christ and Men and women all are using the gifts of the Spirit. Apostle, prophet, teachers, miracle workers, healing, speaking in tongues. Everyone in the church is using this because, as Kate will point out in a minute, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone, men and women, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Jump ahead to chapter 14. In chapter 14... Paul uses two words throughout the entire chapter to talk about three things that are kind of out of order in the church in Corinth. Speaking in tongues, prophecy, and what women are doing in the meeting time. Now, the third one, women in the meeting time, is understandable because let's remember, before the New Testament church, women were not allowed in the general assembly. They weren't allowed to learn about the scriptures. Now they're being included in the body of Christ and they have questions during the middle of their meeting and they might be standing up in the middle of the meeting and asking their husbands, hey, I've got a question. What is he talking about? We've never been included before and so I got a big question. And Paul's saying that disturbance, 
some of the ways that you're prophesying and some of the ways that you're speaking in tongues needs to be done in a more unifying way. But Paul uses two words. He uses the word anyone and he uses the word one. And he uses it regularly and repeatedly through the chapter. Meaning men and women are using all three of these things in conjunction with one another. It's in, chapter, it's in verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 9, 13, 27, 37, and 38. He is inclusive about everyone in the room. Now look at verse 36 with me. At the end of verse 34 and verse 35, when Paul is saying women should remain silent in the churches, it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church, the last verse, verse 36, is this. Paul asks a question. Or did the word of God originate with you? That's an interesting question. Why would he put that question right there? <coughs> or did the word of God originate with you? Here's what we believe Paul is saying. That if the word of God originated with God, then God gets to choose who gets to speak his word. Man or woman? See, if we interpret Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, that women should remain silent in the church and we exclude women in ministry, then we're in direct contradiction to what Paul said in chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 14. And here's what I've discovered. Whenever I see a contradiction in God's word, it's not because there's a contradiction in God's word. It means there's a contradiction in my interpretation. And I need to dig deeper. And I think that's what we've done here. Now, lastly, let me say this. If women are not meant to be a public part of the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why did Jesus send a woman to declare that he had risen from the dead? Is that to mean that only women can speak publicly about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or is Jesus starting the inclusion of women in the greatest story the world has ever known? Nice. Good job. Well, I think um, obviously up on this stage, Pastor Kate is here. Um, and let me just say we are blessed beyond all things to have Kate as a pastor here and a leader here. And she just has been a huge influence on just the community in, in a really positive way. So thank you, Kate, for being true to the gifting that God has given you and being passionate about it. But obviously there's contention in like even what Mark has said and other people believe other things. So, so how have you processed this contention where there are people who don't agree with you teaching or preaching over an entire congregation? Well, I remember the first time that that happened. Mark and I had only been here at Cheney Faith for a couple months, and Mark needed to go do a wedding somewhere, so he asked me to speak on a Sunday morning, and I did. And then shortly after that, a young man came up to Mark and told him that if Mark was going to allow me or any woman to speak at church, then that he would leave the church. And I have to say that that really shook me up quite a bit, and I took it very personally. But it was also a real defining moment for me 
because time and time again, God has shown me that this is what he is asking me to do and that this is a calling that he has given me. And I have to decide if I'm going to follow God and be obedient to him or if I'm going to live in fear of what people think of me. And over the years, God has really helped me as I've been obedient to him, and he's given me a lot of confidence. And there's many people in this room have seen from when I first started getting up to share to now and just the work that God has done in my own personal life. And now when that happens, I'm able to have more understanding and be gracious and not take it personally, but still keep doing what God has called me to do. Okay, and so now I'm transitioning. <laughs> yeah, all right. Oh, and let me also say it does really help that I have a lot of cheerleaders on our church staff and many of you, and that has helped to encourage me along the way as well. I can do the pom-poms pretty good. <laughs> but in Joel 2.28, um, the Bible says that God will pour out his spirit on all people, and that both your sons and daughters will prophesy. And that word prophesy means to, to speak what God has given you to speak, speak the words of God. And that's basically what preaching is. And the spiritual gifts are not gender specific. Leading and teaching, like Mark mentioned, are not just for men. And encouragement and hospitality are not just for women. Those gifts are not gender specific. And that's a really good segue into our third um, distinctive, which is the Holy Spirit. And our distinctive up there on the screen says, we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, are meant to be used in our daily lives and in the church today. We believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a work of grace that is distinct from conversion though it may happen simultaneously with conversion. And I want to show you a few biblical examples of this. The first one is right before Jesus went back to heaven. He was with his disciples, and he gave them this command in Acts 1, 4 through 5. On one occasion, he was eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, sure enough, about 10 days later, they were all gathered in a room when the Holy Spirit came and filled the room and filled each one of them so that they spoke in tongues. And I want to read that to you, Acts 2, 3 through 4. It says this. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues and powered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Now, we believe that this experience was meant to be the exception, was not meant to be the exception, excuse me, this experience was meant to be the norm, not the exception. Okay, did I say that right? Okay. <laughs> was meant to be the norm, not the exception for all Christ followers. And we can see this later in the book of Acts, where Paul, who by the way, was not a member of that upper room experience um, on, on the day of Pentecost, he encourages believers to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna read to you Acts chapter 19, verses one through seven that says this. 
was while Paul was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and disciples are followers of Jesus, and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men at all. So from looking at these two instances, we believe that it was God's intention for all believers to be filled with his spirit. We also see the baptism in the Holy Spirit as a singular, empowering event in which believers experience the person of the Holy Spirit who already dwells within them. And that person of the Holy Spirit is released in greater power and influence in every aspect of a believer's life for service and to impact God's kingdom. The experience is often accompanied by a greater and more regular use of supernatural spiritual gifts, such as those listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And then in Romans 12, the gifts listed there, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And it's our desire here at Cheney Faith Center, we want to be like those early believers who were seeking more of what Jesus wanted to give them. There's a scripture that says that, that God gives his spirit without limit. And we, we want all that God has for us through his spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is to equip you and me to serve God effectively and its end result is greater power, boldness, and operation of God's spirit working both in us and then through us to the world around us. So then kind of to ask a, a, a closing question, what would you say to someone who is not sure what their spiritual gift is or they have not experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And that's a great question and one that many people have. And there's a couple things that I'd like to say about that. The first one is that I'd like to assure people that both of these things are an amazing yet natural part of a Christian's life and that there's nothing to be afraid of because oftentimes fear is a stumbling block to what God's spirit wants to do in us or through us. Secondly, I'd like to point out that John the Baptist said in Luke 3.16 that John baptized with water, but that Jesus would be the one to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage people to seek or continue to seek Jesus with childlike faith to baptize them in his spirit and to reveal what their spiritual gift or gifts are. And it's really as simple as praying, Jesus, by faith, give me your spirit. And it's praying that as often as, you, as it takes. There's a great verse in Luke 11, 11 through 13, that I would like to read to close with. And it says this. 
Let me ask you this. Do you know of any father who would give his son a snake on a plate when he asks for a serving of fish? Of course not. Do you know of any father who would give his daughter a spider when she had asked for an egg? Of course not. If imperfect parents know how to lovingly take care of their children and give them what they need, how much more will the perfect Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit's fullness when his children ask him? Thank you, Kate. Um, I think it's great and awesome to know that God has gifted every single one of us with something special just from him. And uh, what a good God we serve that says, hey, I've got a special gift just for you that I want you to enjoy and use to serve me. Well, in conclusion, uh, I'd like to say or share a story with you. About a year ago, a a man in our church who was in a leadership role uh, asked if he could go to lunch with me. and, And it was common that we would go to lunch. And so we went to lunch and In our conversation, somehow it came up that he said, hey, I wanted you to know something about Genie Faith Center. And I said, sure, what? What's that? He goes, I don't don't agree with all your theology. (laughs) And it actually referred to several of the distinctives that we just talked about. And I said, oh, really? And he goes, yeah. But he said, I've learned something about theology. And that is that I don't have to agree with everything to attend a church to lead at a church, and to see a church be fruitful in a city. And he said, that's why we picked Cheney Faith Center. Even though my wife and I don't agree with all of your theology, there's one thing we do agree with, that is that you love this city unconditionally, and you want to see people come to believe in Jesus Christ for the first time. And that we can get on board with, because that's the most important thing that we can do in this world. And so he reminded me again that the most important thing for us as believers is unity. In fact, I think more and more as we move forward into the future, one of the things that will hurt the church more and more is our disunity. Jesus said this, This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, when they see the love you have for each other. Not the differences you have amongst each other, the love you have for each other. And so I want to encourage us when we think about these three distinctives and the other distinctives we have as a church, let's always choose love over our differences. And let's always choose unity in our non-essentials. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you this morning for a chance to share some big and important things that are uh, a part of who we are as a church and who we are as a people, and specifically as a church, uh, Cheney Faith Center. Thank you for these things that we see in your word that you've declared to us, and I pray that you would help us to live them out and that these distinctives would make us better and they would help us be more unified at Cheney Faith Center but also with our brothers and sisters everywhere around the world. Lord, would you use us in a mighty way this year to see the gospel go forward and move forward in strength and in power in Cheney, the West Plains, and on. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.